The Equilibrium Podcast with your host, Ryan Young. I am the host and producer of Equilibrium, a radio show on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal, and I am fascinated by ecology and the human-animal relationship, and I want to inform you. If you're an environmental activist, scientist, or just somebody that is concerned about the future health of the planet's ecology, this is a podcast for you. You are listening to the Ecolibrium Radio Podcast. My name is Ryan Young. So today we are going to focus on the protests against logging an old growth forest in British Columbia on Vancouver Island in an area known as Ferry Creek. And uh, what I did is I contacted somebody in the Rainforest Flying Squad and that was Kathleen Code or Kathy Code and she is a spokesperson for that organization. I spoke to her from her home in Cobble Hill, and here is that interview now. This is Ryan Young for CKUT 90.3 FM, and I'm speaking with Kathy Code, who is a spokesperson for the Rainforest Flying Squad. And uh, a lot has been going on lately in terms of uh, protest actions against the logging of old-growth forests on Vancouver Island especially in an area called Ferry Creek, or that's what a lot of people have been hearing about, Ferry Creek. So thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us on the show today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me. So I guess uh, the first question I have is, is what is um, the Rainforest Flying Squad? The Rainforest Flying Squad is a movement that's evolved over the past 10 months. It started out in uh, early August 2020 when a group of hikers crested a ridge and saw what was going on, that this beautiful old growth forest was about to be destroyed. So it's grown from a Ferry Creek uh, camp, a peaceful camp, into a series of eight or nine different camps then throughout the Tree Farm License 46 region. In the 10 months that we've been out there, we've developed a mobile units which allow us then to go to areas then the old growth areas that are threatened by immediate logging and and actually uh, set up peaceful camps to stop that logging. So in terms of peaceful camps there's peace, peaceful camps but there's also uh, some uh, direct action or I guess more like civil disobedience going on is that right? Yeah, I mean, to us, they're one and the same. We have a strict code of nonviolence. We ensure that everybody abides that by that. Um, our motto is actually um, a movement that is peaceful, honorable, and immovable. So uh, we expect everybody to abide by the, the code of nonviolence. And we've been very fortunate that people have indeed respected that code of conduct. And so tell me what's what's so special about these old growth areas. The fact is that in BC, which is a province of great and vast forests, the uh, logging companies over the decades have gone after the old growth forests because that's where the most valuable wood is. So we've gone from these vast forests, uh, untouched forests, to now just over 415,000 hectares of actual 
high productive old growth forest. And that's the kind of forest that that people travel to BC to come and see. These are the huge, huge trees that are meters and meters wide and, and towering into the sky. Um, some of them are as old as 2000 years old. So they're, they're a precious ecosystem. The, the old growth forest contains a biodiversity and a web of life that's really important uh, and can never replace once it's been clear cut. And uh, what has the government's um, re- reaction, or at least, I guess, and the way it's carried out by, by the RCMP on the ground to your protests or your peaceful camps uh, where you're protesting this logging? Well, it's been difficult with the in dealing with the RCMP. Um, they have used tactics that are actually full of intimidation and harassment. Um, they have threatened our tree sitters with uh, tear gas and rubber bullets. They have wrestled people to the ground. They have stuffed people into arrest wagons, um, up to nine people at a time, and left them there for four and a half hours. And this is in a time of COVID, which you would think that they would be expected to be following COVID rules. They have not allowed um, media outside of certain designated exclusion zones, which are deliberately placed at some distance away from the action. And usually they cover up the action, whatever they're doing, with a tarp, so observers can't see anyway. And they've also targeted uh, for arrest um, our legal observers, our police liaisons, and uh, Indigenous youth. So we are busy documenting all those cases, making sure that we have the stories, the dates, the times, the photos, and we're collating now, them now. And I expect that we will pre- be presenting them in court at some point in time. And there has been claims that press freedom is being violated there. For example, I saw an article in the Narwhal. Um, so journalists are going up there, I guess, to try and cover it, but the, they're not always able to access and speak to the protesters, am I right? Yes, that's right. Sometimes you're stopped at the exclusion zones that are far away from the the camps that we've set up, uh, you know, eight kilometers away, and they can't go up any further. Depends on, I guess, the RCMP officer who is responsible for letting people through. Sometimes they'll let through media with accreditation and other journalists so haven't been able to get through at all. Um, the Canadian Association of Journalists are filing a, a complaint, a legal complaint, because they believe that constitutional rights have been violated, and so they're pursuing those complaints. And in terms of uh, the current uh, New Democratic Party government, the NDP government uh, in BC, um, you know, a, a lot of people uh, felt uh, when John Horgan was elected and the first time at least, uh, with a Green Party helping them keep a hold on power, of course now that's that's different, they have a majority, that uh, things would change when it came to forestry practices in British Columbia and that um, I even understood that there was a commitment to, to not uh, log old growth forest anymore. So what would you say to that? Yes, well, during the election last November, There was a commitment, sort of a last-minute commitment from the NDP um, party then saying that they would abide by the recommendations of the Gorley-Merkel report uh, regarding 
the old growth strategy review. Um, this report recommended a deferral of all old growth logging. The government waited, once they won the election, the NDP waited six months to release it. And now it's another six months um, since then, at least. And in the interim, they haven't made any effort at all to follow any of those commitments. They keep saying that they need to consult with the First Nations. Um, and basically this approach then has been called talk and log. And in the meantime, they've issued 43% more permits for old growth logging than they did the previous year. So there seems to be a rush on now to log as much old growth as they can, despite their promise. So by the time it comes to protect any old growth, we're wondering how much is going to be left. In fact, there's only, as I mentioned, 415,000 hectares left in the province. And at the current rate of harvest, we estimate there's only five to seven years left of harvest. And where does the uh, the British Columbia Green Party stand on this? Are are they uh, speaking out? Uh, do, you, do you have any contact with them? Oh, yes. Yeah. They're very much opposed to old growth logging, and they have been all along. Uh, recently, they issued a petition looking to gain 20,000 signatures uh, for that petition. They got that overnight, so they've, you know, that petition has obviously had a huge success and people are, are signing all the time. I don't know what it, what the number is right now, but um, people are really, really inspired and determined to protect what's left of the old growth. And it's not just, you know, in terms of climate change, it's not just in terms of uh, the loss of biodiversity, but it also goes very much to the sovereignty of our First Nation peoples. Um, the old growth and First Nations are one and the same. And once they lose the old growth, that's their tradition, that's their culture, um, that's their medicine, their food. So to me, to, for that anybody would want to you know, clear cut this to the extent that it will never be seen again is, is a pure travesty. And what company is involved in, in, or what companies are involved in logging this, these old growth forests right now? Well, in tree farm license number 46, it's the Teal Jones Group. And they've had this 25-year agreement with the provincial government since 2012. In fact, they're just supposed to be finishing up their 10-year review right now, and we're waiting for the release of that report. Um, we'll be certainly scouring that with, with eagle eyes. But there are industrial forest companies throughout BC then that have been granted 10 years to crown land and all of them use clear cutting methods to to harvest old growth and now they're into the second growth as well so not only are they harvesting the old growth but they're clear cutting everything and then planting tree plantations which are not nearly the quality of an old growth and, and I imagine even using herbicides uh, when they plant uh, other tree species. Yes, that's right. So tree plantations are basically commercially planted trees, mostly cedars and firs. Uh, they poison out all the maples and uh, all the alders and any other trees that, that they don't think are commercially viable. So, they, yeah, they do spread herbicides all over. They also fertilize uh, these trees. So what happens then is that these, these trees grow faster 
and they don't have the ring count then that an old growth tree would. And so these this wood is far um, poorer, uh, a poorer quality and, and not nearly um, the equal of an old growth forest tree. And uh, in terms of what uh, a lot of this wood is being used for, I think some Canadians would be shocked sometimes to know what happens to an old growth cedar. It's like the types of things that it ends up in. Do you know much about that? Yes, what the um, testing companies are telling us used for uh, the front boards of guitars and musical instruments. Now, I've talked to people in the music industry, um, most recently somebody uh, down in the States in, in Los Angeles, um, and I asked them, you know, do really require old-growth forest uh, lumber for their soundboards? And, and he said, there is no music- musician out there who would require that old-growth forest be decimated for the sake of an instrument. And that seems to be a, a universal comment among musicians that I know. And um, do you find that culturally... Over the years in British Columbia, there is, or at least maybe historically, a tradition of of just using this resource uh, in a callous way or liquidating these assets, these natural assets, that there's almost a cultural thing about it in, in British Columbia. Well, I think over the decades, it's just been the accepted way to do forestry, is to do the clear cutting without any thought of of what's been destroyed in the process, you know, the, the animal habitat, um, all of the medicines and foods. I mean, we don't even know a lot of what goes on in um, a full cycle old growth forest. There's still a lot of research to be done, especially in the canopy. And then when you have esteemed researchers like Dr. Suzanne Samard, who's discovered this miraculous um, web of life underground with the uh, mycelium and how the mother trees nurture their young. I mean, that's that's really fascinating stuff. It's it removes the the vision of a tree as just a you know a source of fiber into a living being that that has has a full cycle of life. And I guess it would be true to say that the forestry lobby in British Columbia has a lot of power and influence. Oh, they do indeed. There's a lot of money there. Um, and there are stumpage fees then that come to government. And government claims that if they stopped old growth logging, that there would be a huge loss of jobs and a huge loss of revenue to the government. Well, in these last years, revenues have been declining both to forest companies and to the government because the, the forest industry is is really a shadow of itself and it's now got to the point actually where research of the conducted of the government's public accounts have demonstrated that forest companies are actually getting subsidized to the tune of a million dollars a day so when you look at the revenue that comes into government versus the subsidies that they're getting they pretty well cancel each other out and in terms of the the, the protesters uh, that are going to uh, the rainforest flying squads camps and so on, is are the people there from all walks of life? Uh, what, what, how would you describe various people that have gotten involved in this fight? 
Oh, it's really been a truly amazing experience. We are such a diversified group. We are a um, loosely knit uh, uh, group of volunteers. Nobody gets paid. Everybody seems to slot themselves into this movement. It's like a giant jigsaw puzzle where everybody just figures out a place to be and how to contribute. So it's really been amazing that people have spent months on a volunteer basis, you know, either on the camps on the ground, social media work, doing legal work, um, and a, a whole variety of things. We, we even had an artist in residence for a while, and uh, maybe we'll get that program going again. It was disrupted by the RCMP raids. So we've had a tremendous outpouring of, of poems, of, of artwork, of just really um, a community where, you know, donations of food that delivered to the camps sort of exceeded the, the ability to consume it all. And we were able to um, provide donations to uh, the local First Nations. Um, so it really has been an amazing experience. And I think someday there'll be a, a some sort of a behavioral psychologist who will want to study this organization to see what has made it work. And are there both uh, Indigenous people there and non-Indigenous people at these peaceful camps? Very, very much so. In fact, our mentor and guide is Elder Bill Jones. He's a Patchadat elder. He's in his 80s. And he has sort of been the lone voice of his people, has, has really been marvelous because he has a, a really kind and gentle wisdom about him. He has really led us through with his gentle wisdom and um, there have been many other indigenous people too attracted to this movement and we find that this is an important partnership um, between indigenous and non-indigenous people and we're finding um, a new perspective and trying to understand uh, our settler ways and trying to understand um, what the first nations have gone through and just um, what they need then and how we can assist in going forward. And I just thought of one other question. I'm just curious. Do you, do you ever attract to you uh, people that used to work in the forestry industry? Actually, Elder Bill used to be a logger uh, until one day when he went into the forest and he just could not do it anymore. And for him, the, the forest, especially Fairy Creek, uh, is his spiritual home. He calls it his cathedral. And his place of meditation, of, of spirituality. And so that was one of the reasons and why we fought so hard to protect Fairy Creek is because that is his spiritual home for him and his family throughout the generations. It really is a magical, magical place. I don't know if you've ever been in an old growth forest, but it's, it's a place where you can breathe and where you can sort of just being in a forest and, you know, smell the earth and hear the rustle of the trees and just let the whole thing surround you. I have seen people go into an old growth forest and come out just so emotional um, because it's affected them so deeply. Do you, do you find that um, there's government policy and government commitments, but then what's happening on the ground is something different that beyond the, the view of the public, there's often forestry companies that are not necessarily following the rules or the regulations, or there seems to be lax rule, lax application of certain rules. 
Oh, indeed. I think there's a huge gap between what's what's legislation and regulation and what's actual practice on the ground. If you have a company, a forest company that is continually clear cutting cut blocks, they are obviously not paying attention to any of the nesting birds or the special trees or any of the archaeological um, finds that might be in there. They just simply go in and clear cut everything. And in fact, I've read the Teal Jones Forest Management Plan. In that plan, there is no mention, for instance, of the Migratory Bird Act. Uh, this is a federal law that requires foresters not to cut during the um, breeding season. Um, and actually, that's what stopped the, the TMX project right now is the discovery of, of nesting birds. So um, I've made a complaint to the Migratory Bird Enforcement Branch and hope then that they will be able to come out and have a look. Um, because Teal Jones has not even mentioned that. And as far as provincial law is concerned, we have um, a government body called the Forest Practices Branch. And the best they can do when a complaint is laid against a logging company is they will investigate the claim uh, and then they will make recommendations to the forest company to change their practices. Um, but there's no enforcement. This, the, the, the law has no teeth. There's no penalties or fines. It's simply a gentle suggestion that maybe they'd like to do things better, which obviously isn't working. Absolutely. And uh, how is it going in terms of getting your message out in British Columbia? I mean, here we are in Montreal and we're hearing about it uh, through through Facebook and through some newspaper articles. But uh, is is uh, is the word getting out in, in British Columbia and is it being discussed uh, politically uh, in the mainstream? Oh, oh, absolutely. Our mainstream media here is covers it, whether it's print or radio or TV. Um, sometimes it's hard to keep up with all of the interviews, and that's fine. You know, we have we have uh, contact with with many reporters who are really interested in following the story. So there's no lack of that. We've and we've reached actually international heights now. Uh, yesterday, a photographer from Vogue was up in the hills covering the story, while we had 2,000 people come up to uh, to Ferry Creek and Waterfall to show their support that day. And what happened, it was really a, a monumental day for us because what happened was then that the crowd easily um, overwhelmed the, the police presence. And we have photos now of Elder Bill and Victor Peter ceremoniously cutting the police tape to the exclusion zone and then just swarming through while the police stand by. So, I mean, that's the retaking of Waterfall Camp, which is a pretty big victory in our eyes. You know, uh, I'm 50 years old and, uh, you know, I, I remember the, the big fights uh, against logging on the western coast of, of Vancouver Island, uh, places around um, Clackwood Sound and so on, and how, and yeah. how, how yeah. big mm -hmm. of a movement that was and how that made international news. And it seems to some degree that that there was um, an eclipsing of of concern about clear cut logging by overall concern for climate change. And there's been sort of a shift towards emissions and you know how emissions are are bad for the environment. Uh, but in Canada, it seems 
you know, uh, clear-cut logging, which is so environmentally destructive, has continued and has kind of lost the interest of the public eye to some degree. And I feel here it is maybe coming back with this with this fight in, in areas like Ferry Creek. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think for a number of decades there, public the public lost sight of how forestry was being conducted in this province. So it wasn't in the public eye. I think we were too trusting of the forest companies. You know, they we were assured, yes, you know, there's there are good replanting um, programs in place. It'll all grow back. It's fine. And we just really had no understanding of the importance of an old growth forest and the biodiversity and the cycle of life that it contains. Um, I'm also a member of the Ecoforestry Institute Society, and we own a forest called Wildwood Ecoforest. And we have selectively logged that forest since 1945, and we still have a standing forest. Um, so we do have examples here on the island of a successful and sustainable uh, forestry model that can produce jobs and revenue. We've had government up there. We've hosted um, uh, delegations from government and from BC Timber Sales. So they know of this model, but they still are following the corporate model, uh, I guess, because of the money, the money that's involved. The profits are huge for, for forest companies right now. Absolutely. And um, are there challenges uh, doing all this, these these protests and managing all this uh, and even getting your your information out in the, in the public eye and then, you know, the issues with meeting politicians or getting politicians' attention when you've got uh, a COVID kind of emergency mode that the government is in? Is it, has it been difficult? But what have some of the challenges been or what can you say about that? Well, what I can say is, you know, thank goodness we have things like Zoom and social media. So we have some really talented and very savvy people who, who know how to use that. You know, we have professional writers in our group. We have such a range of talent and skills. Ten months ago, we could never have expected that we would be at the point where we are now, where we are getting provincial and national and international attention. People learn about this, and I think that's probably the key thing, is that people now are willing to be educated about the importance of an old-growth forest. And it's not just not it doesn't just end with the old growth forest i mean we have all of these layers that are that are tied to that with the with the first nations rights and and titles with biodiversity and and the loss we're down to 30% now of our original biodiversity that we started out with i mean that's shocking um, the the climate change crisis for which old growth forest is so important in terms of sequestering carbon um, and producing the air that we breathe and, and the water that we drink. Um, it's, it's revealed so much in the way of social and economic injustices. And then this partnership then the, between uh, corporations and governments that really exceeds the, the public interest, where the public interest um, is, is no longer of, of importance as long as the forest companies are allowed to come in and, and make the money that they do. And, you know, they're not spending their profits within BC. They are off busy using their money to invest in offshore mills. 
And yet they're complaining that if we limit their old growth logging, they'll lose jobs. You know, so far this NDP government has been quite silent, actually, in terms of, you know, how they how they are actually going to implement this. And in the Gorley Merkel report, the, the old growth strategic review, they had in there a timeline, uh, an 18-month timeline that they considered that their recommendations should be implemented within that timeline. And of course, here we are more than a year later and not a thing has been done. Now, I've heard Katrine Conroy, our Minister of Forests, say that she's going to take three years to consult with the First Nations. And then we have also heard then that the government plans to take 10 years to implement um, that strategy. Well, there will be no more trees left in seven years. So if their goal is to wipe out the old growth forest, then, then they will certainly succeed. Do you have a future plan right now with the Rainforest Flying Squad? Uh, uh, is it just more of the same? Um, can you tell me about any anything that just comes to mind that you're working on? We will maintain the camps on the ground. And uh, as we speak, we have several hundred campers up there now protecting the forest. The RCMP seems to have taken the day off today. Uh, so we're glad for that. Yeah, so it's been a bit of a break for us today. Um, But our plan is to continue to defend the forests on the ground with whatever means we have, whether they're tree sitters or and hard blockades where they'll handcuff themselves into something. So and just find ways to slow down the arrest and just keep inviting people up as as fast as people are arrested. More people come up to help protect the old growth. So that's going to be ongoing. And we're prepared to do that for the long term. We've been in this now for 10 months and, you know, survived BC winters up there and the snow and the rain and the wind. So, you know, we can keep carrying this forward. We know how to do this now. We also have, you know, a strong social media team, lots of people writing content and finding new ways to gain new audiences and to get our information out there. And we have a strong legal team, too, so that we have a number of legal options before us. And I I won't say what those are right now. Rest assured, we have a number of options that we will be considering and going forward with. So if people listening uh, to this interview wanted to help somehow, maybe even if they're out here in Montreal, what, what could they do? Well, you could go to our website, the Rainforest Flying Squad website, and you can um, actually donate through that website. Uh, We've been very, very fortunate that the public has been so generous in terms of their support. We've raised over $500,000 now. Mind you, that's over 10 months, and a lot of that has gone to build camp structure and that sort of thing. But it's also used for our legal funds, for both the court challenges and for the arrests and car towing. Our CMP ordered towing companies to come in and, and pull people's cars off public roads. So that will be an issue going forward. But yeah, it's the funding that we would really, truly appreciate. And also just sharing of our stories and of our social media and All of the content that we put out there, that really is a valuable asset and just getting people to understand the importance of what we're doing. And I think it's given courage to a lot of communities around BC who are now protecting their own old growth forests. We have a lot of um, municipal councils then who have written letters of support. 
for the protection of old growth. A lot of organizations, the um, Union of BC Indian Chiefs has supported the protection of old growth forests. So just being able to understand the situation, to understand the importance of our environment, the importance of respecting and, and appropriate stewardship of our resources, I think that's something that can spark people no matter where they live. I just want to thank you so much for, for the work you're doing there, and um, thank you so much for telling us about this very important uh, issue. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure and a great opportunity to let people know who we are and why we're doing this. And that was my interview with Kathy Cote, a spokesperson for the Rainforest Flying Squad. She was speaking to me from her home in Cobble Hill, British Columbia, which is on Vancouver Island. If you want to uh, help out the protests or find out more about what's going on in Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island, you can go to the Rainforest Flying Squad website, which is actually called laststandforforests.com. So that is the website, laststandforforests.com. And it's easy to donate, to get involved, and to find out all kinds of other interesting things from that website. Kathy Code mentioned uh, the involvement of the British Columbia Green Party, the BC Green Party, in fighting for uh, this old growth forest. And so let's listen to a question that recently Sonia Furstenau uh, asked in the BC legislature in Victoria, BC. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Today, the BC Supreme Court is hearing forest company Teal Jones's application for an injunction against the protesters at Ferry Creek. If the injunction is granted, we could see people arrested for attempting to stop preparations for logging in the last intact ancient forest valley on southern Vancouver Island. This could take place, no less, in the Premier's own riding, on the watch of an NDP government that has promised to do things differently on old growth, on the watch of a Premier who committed during the recent SNAP election to implement all of the old growth panel's recommendations, including immediate deferrals in ancient forests just like this one. Honourable Speaker, if Ferry Creek doesn't qualify for immediate protections, I'm not sure what does. My question is to every member of government, really, but I'll direct my question to the Premier. Is the Premier and his caucus okay with this being their legacy? Or will they step up and come to the table with real economic alternatives to logging old growth and provide a way forward to save Ferry Creek? Minister of Forests, Land, Natural Resource Operations. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I appreciate the question uh, from the uh, third member of the third party, leader of the third party. Um, BC forests are a big part of what makes our province so unique and, and, and so special, and our government knows that old-growth trees are an integral part of a healthy ecosystem. And for many, many years, the former Liberal government, they took an unbalanced and, and unsustainable approach to managing our old growth forests, and we are making different choices. Our government is bringing in a fundamental shift in forestry to protect and preserve old growth forests, and, and for, for today and, and for years to come. And we will do this while supporting forest workers, 
and forest-dependent communities. You know, we received clear advice and clear recommendations from the independent panel on how we can do this, and we are dedicated to implementing the 14 recommendations, and the work has already started. In fact, as a first step, we worked with Indigenous nations and government-to-government -government discussions across the province to look at nine deferred areas where we deferred old-growth forests that are protected in those nine areas. And we will continue to do more. We know that this is just a first step, and there is much more to do, and we will do that. Leader of Third Party on Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I'm, I'm actually astonished that uh, my question was specifically about Ferry Creek. Uh, the Minister of Forest didn't mention it once. And just to be clear, <laughs> this is the last intact old-growth valley south of Clackwit Sound on Vancouver Island, the last one. And so 30 years from now, we will have to look at our grandchildren and say, hey, either we let it go because it didn't matter, we didn't value it, your future, your ability to go into an intact old growth forest didn't matter enough. Or we say, this is the moment to make the decision. This is the time. This is the government that promised to do it, and they're going to follow through on it. Making different choices, <laughs> following the advice of the panel. The advice of the panel was immediate deferrals on exactly this kind of watershed and ancient forest. This government has an opportunity in front of them right now to show that they actually meant what they said when they made promises in a snap election that we didn't need to have. The question is to the Premier, Honourable Speaker, will his government rise to the moment of this important decision? Halt the road building and preparation for logging in this intact rainforest and come to the table with financial alternatives for supports in order to provide an actual long-term solution to save this watershed. So that was Sonia First to know, the leader of the BC Green Party, and uh, she was asking uh, the minister responsible for natural resources and forestry and so on a question about Ferry Creek. We've been covering that issue, that topic, for today's show here on Ecolibrium. My name is Ryan Young. So I'd like to give you that website once again for the Rainforest Flying Squad, which is uh, fighting the logging that's going on in this old-growth forest. And their website is laststandforforest.com. Laststandforforest.com. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And um, we're basically out of time. So you can always email us with questions or comments to ecolibrium at ckut.ca. You can also follow us on Facebook. Uh, we're called Ecolibrium CKUT Montreal on Facebook. So you just put in facebook.com slash Ecolibrium CKUT Montreal and you'll find us. And I'm on Twitter at Ryan V. Young. And I'm also on Instagram at Ryan Young Naturalist. You've been listening to the Ecolibrium Radio Podcast. 
Have a great day.